Hey, I'm Thomas. I serve as one of the pastors here at Providence. Glad to be here um, with you this morning. Um, special welcome to any guests and visitors in the house with us. We're so glad that you're here. If this is also uh, maybe your first time back uh, for a while, maybe you've been away uh, for some time or some reason or just for the summer, then uh, let me state the obvious. Uh, we're getting some work done around here. Uh, having our worship center and lobby space uh, expanded, so hopefully we can have a bigger front door to this community and city that we love so much to welcome them in to experience the love of Jesus. So thanks for hanging hanging in with us uh, this morning. Um, each and every Sunday we have worship gatherings in this space and in the Delta Lake Center over here on the property, as well as overflow seating prisms and amphitheater right over in that direction. But you were in the right place at the right time this morning, and I'm so glad that we get to share it with each other. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 32. So Psalm th- chapter 32, if you have a Bible copy of God's word with you, go ahead and open up to Psalm 32. If you don't, uh, you should be able to find one under one of the chairs in front of you. If you're on the front row, maybe you can ask a neighbor uh, behind you if they could uh, share one with you. And we'll be in Psalm 32. Throughout the month of August, we have uh, been studying a different uh, psalm each Sunday um, because we want to hear from God and the psalms have a unique way of helping us hear from God. Uh, these psalms are these prayerful songs that different uh, people have written at different times in history to talk about their relationship with God. And we here at Providence in the month of August, the month of August is always a bit of a complex time for us. Um, some of us are taking that one last summer vacation before really diving in for the year. Others of us are getting uh, doing back-to-school shopping. Any of that going on in the house? I see you, yeah? And um, we're starting school, and then for the rest of us, uh, we've been working our jobs faithfully, like, what are you complaining about, right? So this is where we are. This is our moment, and we find ourselves in the Psalms, um, these these very prayerful poems and songs that God's people have written uh, for different reasons. And I'm going to share with you uh, a little bit of the background of this one in particular before we ease into it together. But our hope this morning is that, uh, and throughout this entire series, is that God would do some really good work in each of our hearts. As we've been talking about a plant vision where we want to plant our lives here at Providence, we want to plant the gospel in the city, we want to plant churches in the world. It's a lot of outward facing activity. We studied Jonah, then we talked about the life of an evangelist. If this is new to you, all the content's up on our website at pray.org. We just take a moment to pause, take a few weeks to say, you know what, let's, let's pause right here. Let's think about where we are and how we're doing as we ease into another school year for many of us. And as we ease into this moment, let's just pause with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for every man and woman in this space right now. Thank you for the children that are with us as well. God, we pray that you would meet each of us in our moment of need. It is not too high of a thing for you to take a space like this in a moment like this and to give each one of us what we desperately need. So, Father, for the people who are in here and are hurting, we pray for comfort. For the people who have had a good week, God, we pray for continued encouragement. For those in need of sight, we pray for revelation and that you'd give light. For those in darkness, we pray that you bring them into the light. You'd move people from death to life even in this moment. For your children, Father, that you love dearly. If any of us has unconfessed sin, Would your spirit do the gracious work now in revealing it to us and not letting us be comfortable with it, 
bringing us to a moment of confession so we can have a restored relationship with you. Father, meet us where we are. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I read Psalm 32 uh, to you, and we read it together, we need to spend a few minutes just thinking about uh, what's going on and a little bit of the background to this psalm. Um, the psalm right here reads like the journal entry, uh, the furious and the passionate journal entry of a man named David. Now, I'm into journaling. It's a great way I kind of keep track of everything that bangs around in my brain at different times when I'm trying to hear from God on something or I'm trying to understand how God's been at work in my life, how he's answered prayers. I'll, I'll journal. Uh, any, anybody else in the house into journaling this morning? I'm alone? No, we're not in this. We're in this together. Thank you. So um, when it comes to journaling, it's a place where our rawest emotions make it to the page. It's a place where it, it seems private in the moment, but sometimes those entries are helpful for other people to hear. And you can approach this morning as if you're getting to read Psalm chapter 32, being this very personal, this very powerful journal entry from a man named David. The story behind these events took place in 2 Samuel 11 through 12. You might even want to write that in the margin for you to study later on. This man, David, was a man who loved God. The Bible even calls this guy a man after God's own heart. He was a person in the city that people would look to when they're wondering, man, what does it mean to love God? What is the way to God? You'd easily look to David. He's a person who knew God's word. He's a person who knew how to provide God's help. And one day, David, this man of God, he sinned. He was doing something that was common in his day that's not too common in our day. He was actually up on his roof walking around. Not many of us are doing that this afternoon for fun, no matter how good the temperature feels outside. And David was on his roof, and he was walking around. And wouldn't you know it, next door he saw something that was equally uncommon in our day today, but was very common then. He saw a woman bathing. And David decided to linger. Instead of fleeing at the moment of temptation, David hung around. And in hanging around, Satan made his way in and he planted his mark. He got a grip. And David had his servants go and uh, get the woman named Bathsheba and bring her to him. And they slept together. They, They had sex. And David was, David committed adultery in this moment and she ended up getting pregnant And if all of this isn't dramatic enough, David actually ordered to have her husband killed to cover up the adultery. It's real stuff. This this is what happened in 2 Samuel 11 through 12. And then what happened after it is David knew he did wrong because he was a man of God. He knew what it was like to have a close relationship with the Father. He, he, he knew what it was like to, to hear God's word. And he knew those moments when he ought to be stepping forth in courageous obedience. And he hid his sin. He tried to hide it from God, who knows everything, who sees everything, who's his father, who knows his child perfectly. And Psalm chapter 51 contains the first response to that event. You probably even write Psalm 51 down so you can come back to it later on. It's this, it's this big emotional, like passionate response to his actions. He's talking to God against you and you only God have I sinned. Man, I, I have blown it. I have messed up big time. He just pours out his heart to God. 
And he asked God to forgive him and to restore the joy of the salvation that he once knew. Then you have Psalm 32. Psalm 32, as best as we can tell, it's a further reflection on that event. It's, it's a journal entry that was recorded a little later in time with a little more perspective, with a little more life that had been lived between 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, Psalm 51, and then this moment. And as best as we can tell, um, and we can, this, this psalm is actually a form of teaching. This is all really important to you understanding the purpose of Psalm 32 in our lives today. In my Bible, I actually see these words, it's maskil of David, M-A-S-K-I-L. This Hebrew word that as best as we understand it means teaching. All right, so think about this with me. This man of God loved God, had a great relationship with God and other people, and man, did he screw up. I mean, he messed up big time. Adultery followed by murder. This is about as high stakes as it gets. And he hides it. Then he had a moment when... He relented, he confessed to God, and he experienced a renewed relationship with God. And then he comes back to that same moment later on, and he says, you know what? For my good, but for your good as well, I'm going to reflect on this a little more, and I'm going to teach you, and I'm going to reflect on my experience for your good. And that's Psalm 32. So this is where we are. This this is just some ideas that are out there. This is, some, this is real heartfelt life that a man lived. And what I want you to see in all of this, this is, this is really the frame that I'm trying to get for you, is that God comes to us. He comes to his children. He comes to all people. Like If you've never trusted in Jesus before, this is for you today. But listen, if you are a child of God, if you're known by the Father and you've just been living in sin and you feel like you're in a rut, You need to know that God is in the business of coming to his own children and taking our sin and transforming it into a story for us to tell. Said another way, the father likes to come into our lives, the children that he loves so much, and he likes to invade our mess and turn it into a message. That's what's happening in Psalm 32. This isn't like a man just dreamed up some stuff. This is a man who loved God and loved people. He failed. And then he confessed his sins and he had full and immediate forgiveness. And now God is working through him. The Holy Spirit saw it fitting for you and me to have this journal, prayerful, song kind of note for us this morning to see how God can use the brokenness and the insufficiencies of a man in order to bring good to people. This is where we're at. One more note, and I'm going to read it to you. I promise I'm going to read this thing to you in a minute, right? Just one more note. This is really important. As you look down the right side of the page, um, you'll probably see a word interspersed somewhere called selah, right? S-E-L-A-H. This word means let's pause, let's reflect. So psalms um, aren't meant to be rushed through. We're actually meant to kind of linger and take our time at different places. And that's exactly what we're about to do as we read it. But the, pl- the, but the, but the place and the purpose of these pauses is important for reasons I'll, I'll give to you in just a minute. But whenever we reach one of these selahs, we're actually going to do what the author asks us to do. We're going to pause. and We're going to let our eyes kind of tumble over the words we just read. We're going to take a moment for God to speak to us, and then I'll keep reading. And that effect is very important 
for reasons you'll see in a minute. So, Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Let's pause. I acknowledge my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Let's pause. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Let's pause. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Men hear the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you with an upright heart. This is real flesh and blood language, isn't it? I mean, this, this doesn't read like a systematic theology textbook. This doesn't read like a newspaper headline. This is filled with the stuff of life. Here we see God, we see man, we see sin, we see guilt, we see holding out, we see wearing down, we see coming to, we see confession, and then we see God coming in like only God can and restoring and filling up and making alive again. And we see God coming to a man who had that one deep dark thing he said he'd never tell. And we see God infusing this person with all the courage and humanity he'd ever need in order to talk to us this morning from his wound, from his pain, from his weakness, so we can be made strong. Psalm 32. It addresses each of us in a moment when we're thinking about what does it look like for us to live our lives together at Providence this year. Exciting times as our facilities are being expanded, as people are joining our church family, as we're on a campaign by the grace of God to share the gospel with people and to see a thousand people trust Christ in the next three years. Friends, that number is already going down when God and his grace is bringing people to faith and repentance. We have visions of planting churches in the world. There is so much exciting stuff going on around here. And we need a moment to pause. We need a moment to reflect. We need a moment to hear from God. Because gospel urgency and going far out there depends first on us experiencing grace and the gospel really working on us in here. 
What are we to do if we find ourselves in a moment like this with so much exciting activity all around, but our guilt and our sin seems to have us riding the bench? And we feel like we're not good enough. We feel like we're not able. We feel like we shouldn't step out into a community. We shouldn't join a life group to share our life. We shouldn't go on a mission trip. We shouldn't sign up to serve because we're so bad. What should we do? Here are three things that God does. The first one I want you to see is this. God convicts us in order to restore us. This is what you see in verses three and four that help understand the relationship of God the Father and David that we're watching on the page. But even to helpfully imagine the relationship in our own lives, we very helpfully think of God as a father and we as his children. Um, I, I, have, I have two children. I have a daughter named Perry Elizabeth, and I have a son named Shepard. Daughter's four years old. My son is 18 months. My son just enjoys it when nobody bothers him, especially his daughter, and he just likes eating. And my daughter likes running around the house and, I mean, frankly, being crazy, right? I mean, she's a beautiful little tornado, right? And there are so many times when I, as a loving father, I come to my daughter like, I know her. I had a hand in creating her. Like, I, I know her. I've watched her life. It's my job to protect her and to provide for her. I know what's good for her. I know what's bad for her. I even set some parameters and some rules with the help of mom, of course, to, to figure out what's going to be good for her. And when I come to her, and she's clearly broken one of the rules, right? I mean, like, the boundary is to keep her safe. And she's clearly ran outside and come back. And when I come to my daughter... And I know, and it's written all over that pretty little face, she knows that she's done wrong. And I'm talking to her, I'm trying to engage with her, I'm trying to bring her to a place where she'll own it. And she doesn't. (laughs) It actually causes a rift in the relationship, doesn't it? Now come on, God created each and every one of us. God knows each and every one of us. He's in heaven. He has eyes that go all throughout the earth. There, there's nothing that is unseen now that's not going to be seen then. He knows us. He knows our frame. He knows our situation. He knows the best things we've ever done. He knows the darkest things we've ever done that we hope nobody finds out about. And our, our Father, He desires a relationship with us. So we're going to be honest about where we've been and what we've done. And for His children the times when he comes to us and he wants to talk about where we've been and what we've done. He wants us to just own up and confess, not so he can take us out back for a beating, but so he can bring us in for a warm hug. For those times when he's wanting to draw us in and we're stubbornly refusing, he'll convict. Like a good parent, he'll, he'll, he'll set the stage. He'll re- remind us of the law. He'll challenge us to consider where we've been. In a sense, his hand will be heavy upon us. This is because we've sinned against him. The the Bible actually gives us three words from Psalm 32 to talk about our sin. Three big words all throughout the Bible. They're all right here in the first two verses of Psalm 32. The first one is this, transgression. Transgression, this idea that we've gone away or we've departed or we've rebelled. And like like a, like a, a hardened child, a disobedient child, we rebel against God and we run from him. This is what it means for us to have transgressions. We're saying, the Father's saying, this is good, stay close. That's far enough, don't go anymore. And we break past the line. 
other word is sin. This idea of coming short or falling short, failing to measure up. It's as if a target is set way off in the distance. And our lives are like an arrow aimed at the target. And we're flying along and we come up short. Not come up short like we hit the target, but we didn't hit a bullseye. We come up short like we were woefully and shamefully short of even getting there. This idea of sin, it's as if there's a standard out there called righteousness. And each and every one of us, we have sin and it's going to limit our ability to live up to the standard. So no matter how good we live, no matter how hard we try, we can never reach the standard on our own. Sin. We have iniquity. This idea of being corrupt or twisted or wicked, distorted in a variety of ways. Like a person who has lied to himself and lied to others so many times that we can't even discern what's true and what was a lie anymore. We're twisted. And here's David. Blessed is the one whose transgressions get forgiven, whose sin gets covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And these three words aren't heavy enough to explain the human condition. You get a fourth word at the end of verse two. It's actually the last word, deceit. So if all three of these words aren't heavy enough, the Bible's like on top of that, the human heart has deceit. We can't even see that these things are true because we're constantly deceiving ourselves, save God and his grace coming in and working on us. So we, we look at problems and we try to explain them away. We look at disobeying the father's voice and we act like it wasn't that big of a deal. We, we minimize the mistakes that we know are huge. We act like this path isn't headed off a cliff when we know it is. It's a loving father that comes in and saves us. The problem isn't that we do things that are wrong. That's not the problem. The problem is that we have a heart that saved God in his grace wants to do things that are wrong. It's not that we look at pornography, gossip, lie, cheat, and steal. Those aren't the problems. The problem is that we have a heart that if God doesn't come and reform, we have a heart that wants to be a part of those things. Problems bigger than we'd ever really imagine. Augustine, guy, uh, St. Augustine, who lived in the fifth century, Absolutely loved this uh, psalm right here. It was, it, was his, it was his favorite as far as we know. He actually had it inscribed on the wall by his bed. So he could like pop an eye open, look at it, and then he could meditate as he drifted off to sleep. Loved this psalm so much. He said, the first and greatest thing a man can do in life, the beginning of knowledge, he would say, is to know oneself to be a sinner. And Augustine, um, Augustine Augustine, Apple. I don't know, tomato, tomato, whatever. So um, Augustine actually wrote a spiritual autobiography. He uh, put it to prayer and it's called Confessions. Um, Unlike Usher and his music, right? This guy was freeloading off of, Usher was freeloading off of this guy. These are like the true, legit confessions. And Augustine came along and later in life, after he had the spirit, after he'd been walking with God for a while, the spirit of God brought a moment to mind and he started reflecting on it. And the moment was when he and a couple buddies, they broke into a pear orchard to steal pears. So before uh, guys would go around graffitiing bridges and bars, this is what you did, right? You broke into a pear orchard to steal pears, right? And so Augustine and his buddies, they're running around the pear orchard and they're taking all the good pears. And he reflects, we weren't even hungry. 
In fact, on the way home, we're just looking at perfectly good pairs and we're just throwing them away. And he reflected later in life, why did we do that? Right? Anybody ever had a moment, you look back in the sanctified imagination of the spirit, you're like, what in the world were we thinking? Oh my gosh. And when Augustine did, the spirit brought a thought to mind. It's that in that moment, somebody said, don't go into the orchard. And he had a heart that wanted to disobey. He didn't want anybody to limit him or define him. He wanted his desires to be unleashed. So he disobeyed. Our problems are hearts. And look at God coming in like a good father who's not going to let things stay like this. In verses 3 and 4, the David telling of his own story. He kept his wrongs inside for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Another way of thinking about this is as if his bones were wax and they're melting away. He's losing his frame through my groaning day and night. Interesting, in the book of Romans, we hear about the spirit doing some groaning for us. It's so deep. It's this deep, deep prayer that only God can hear. He's wrestling, he's feeling it, he's feeling the weight, he's thinking it over. Nobody can look at him and see. Nobody's none the wiser when they just glance at this guy, but something's deep down in there. And it's as if his very frame's wasting away when he's refusing to come to God with it. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. Anybody ever had a moment when it feels like God's hand was heavy on you? Had many in my own life. Before I came to trust in Jesus and many times since, feels like God is for us, but against us. It feels like he loves us, but he's not letting this thing stay. And it's like his strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Listen, I know we had some amazing temps in the last few days, but this boy's from Montgomery, Alabama, and it gets hot down there. I mean, it gets hot and humid. I mean, you start sweating when you walk to the car down there, right? And we don't know as much about that around here. We'll have it every once in a while. And he's saying, it's as if you were left outside to cook. And just day after day after day, sweat pours out. Your energy leaves you. It feels like you're wasting away and getting worn out. Anybody ever felt that from God? I have. You can know it's a good father that's working on you. Because he desires to restore a relationship with you. Just as David prayed in Psalm 51 verse 12. Now that I've confessed God. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. A restoration is in view. So yeah it's hard. Yeah it's heavy. But he's trying to free us up. He's trying to get us to let go of our moment. To let go of our situation. And to hold on to him. You need to know that it's God who convicts the world concerning righteousness and repentance of things that are good and things that are bad. God's hand is heavy on us until we repent. But once we repent, God gives us new promises and promises that he'll release us from this. But Satan's goal is then to come in and to put his grimy little finger in the wound and push. That's why many people, they say, man, once I came to know God, life got harder. It's because you were dead Now you're alive. You weren't aware of spiritual realities. Now you are. God's trying to conform you into the image of the son. And when he lifts, after you confess, Satan's the one coming in to afflict. God loves his children too much to let them ruin their lives. So he pursues us to restore us. Second thing I need you to see is this. God forgives us as soon as we confess. Psalm 32 verse 5 is really the heart of his story. 
want you to think about those words, the heart of his story. Because each and every one of us that trust in Jesus through faith, we have a story to tell. There was once a time when I was in darkness. I was blind and I was dead. God gave me life. Now I can see. Now I have life. Now I live. But there's more to it than that. Once we become a follower of Jesus, our life, like a big story, now has many chapters. And each chapter has its own tale to tell. And here for David, a man who'd been walking with God, a man who was a worshiper of God, he messed up. And Psalm 32, 5 became the defining sentence in that chapter of his life. God came into his sin and made it a story. He came into his mess and he made it a message. And God wants to do the same with you and me. Just as we saw three, three words about sin, notice three things that God does with sin based on this psalm as well. What God does with our sin? First, God forgives our sins. Our sins are literally lifted off of our souls. It's as if we're trying to lift weights and an Olympic power lifter is standing by only for us to give him the, I'm done, you know, and he'll lift the whole thing off. And listen, if you're under the weight of sin, if you feel like God, the, the burden of your sin and God's hand is doubly heavy on you right now, you need to know in this moment that God will instantaneously create a lift for you. The burden will go, God's hand will go, promises and restoration will rush in only if we repent. Psalm 103.12 says, God removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. Isaiah 43.25 says, God no longer remember our sin against us. And we know on this side of the cross, because God remembers it, not against us, but against Christ. Second, God covers our sin. The, the word here uh, in the New Testament for propitiation is the same word here for the covering. Essentially, a big idea all throughout the Bible is that God's going to take these wrong things we've done and he's going to deal with them somehow. One of the ways that the Bible talks about it is through covering. And saying God's going to come and he's going to cover these things up and we're not going to have to look, about it, look at it or deal with it anymore. Next, God does not count our sins against us. So two positive things God does with our sin. He forgives it. He covers it. Then he promises not to count it against us. Counting means to impute. It's, a, it's an accounting or a bookkeeping term. It's the idea that God takes our sin and he writes it into Christ's side of the account, not our side anymore. And he punishes him for it, not us. So think about it. God knows our sin is there, but he's not accounting it to us anymore. He's accounting it to Christ. David here is believing that God will save him by faith if he just confesses. This is part of the reason why Paul quotes him in Romans chapter 4. All of this is possible if you confess. This can be true for this room right now if we'll just confess. If we'll just admit I'm wrong. God's always been right. I want him to restore. I want to experience the fullness of life that can only be found with him. And if you don't confess, all of this will be just an idea that you heard one time. It'll be that harbor that you saw and you could pull into, but you chose to stay out at sea. This is where David's begging you from his sin and from his issue. It's part of his story and his message. He's begging you from Psalm 32, 6. Therefore, let everyone who's godly offer a prayer to you at the right time when you can still be found. And we must truly confess. True confession owns the sin and submits to God. And we may think to ourselves, well, man, I, I think I've actually confessed, but I don't have relief. 
We just need to examine again if that's a true and full confession. Did we name everything there was to be named? Did we refuse to cover any bit of it? And did we leave all the covering to God? Because self-pity doesn't deliver. Feeling sorry and wanting to feel better, that isn't real confession. That's just being sorry about something. Self-loathing doesn't deliver. Feeling miserable and wanting out of a situation, that's just the feeling of being found out. I used to struggle with this a lot as a child, and I still do today, wanting to be perfect, wanting to be clean cut, wanting for everything to work right. But whenever I get found out, I got to be sure that I'm actually confessing and not dealing with self-loathing. Sometimes I can be just upset with myself because I got found out, but I'm not upset with the fact that I broke the relationship with the Father. Sometimes we hate the self, but not the sin. Sometimes we hate the consequence, but not the sin. True confession is getting to a place. We admit I'm wrong. God, you've always been right. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And I told you about Selah for a reason. What you need to see as you read this psalm, you need to be comforted by the way it's composed. There are pauses and breaks throughout this psalm, but there is absolutely no pause, no break, no space between when David says, I confessed my sin to the Lord and to when God comes along and provides restoration. You notice that? There is no gap. There is no gap between the moment when we come to God and say, God, I'm sorry. It's not like God is a lion toying with his prey, waiting on us, going to let us sweat it out a little more. He's eager to forgive. He wants to rush in and take our burdens away. He's standing at the door, knocking and waiting if we'll only let him in. Like a father sitting on a porch, waiting on his prodigal son to come home. He's not waiting on the son to get all the way there. The the story that Jesus told us from Luke 15 tells us it was while the son was yet a long way off with the word of confession in his mouth that the father saw him and took off after him. Martin Luther said, we don't even have the word of confession on our tongue until the father steps in to forgive and heal. He's eager to heal you. He wants to take your burdens away. He wants to heal you. He wants to cover you. He wants to not count it against you anymore. If you'll only relent, if you'll only say, you know what, I'm sorry. Maybe that's what this moment is for you. I'm sorry. No standing up, no hands, just you and your heart. God, I'm sorry. You're right. I'm wrong. I'm not going to cover it anymore. I'm going to leave all the covering to you. This age old problem we've had going all the way back to the garden. Adam and Eve, they sinned against God. And what did they do? They said, well, I know we can invent a way. We can figure this out. We can cover it up. And look at David. He got relief in his soul when he said, God, I'm not going to cover it anymore. And he let God do all the covering for him. And great things happen after that. And I'll give you this, and I'm about to get out of here. Number three, God commissions us to a life of blessing. After these things, after, after the hand of God, after the weight of guilt, after confessing, God comes in and he commissions us to a life of blessing. In our own lives, God blesses, he heals, he restores, he gives joy, he gives his favor, and then he takes us and he sends us out into the world to be a blessing to other people. As the spirit of Christ is inside of us and we have the words of Jesus in our mouth, we go around and we are a blessing to other people. 
So we take David for what he's doing. This is where you've got to think through what's happening here. In Second Samuel, David tell, we, we have the story of what happened. Then in Psalm 51, we have this immediate emotional outburst that is really this prayer of forgiveness. Then in Psalm 32, later in life, a little later in the journal, some pages has developed in between. We have this. We have a man of God saying, you know what? I'm going to take my sin and I'm going to take my story and I'm going to leverage it. And it's going to be a means of healing for those people around me. And from his wound, from his brokenness, from the difficult thing in his life, he starts talking to and encouraging other people, even us today. Do you notice the spirit of God delights to work in the world in that way? We don't have to have this, but the spirit of God wants you to have it wants you to know the story of David, wants you to see time passing, wants you to see David coming back to reflect and to share with you from his wound. So look what he does. Verse six, from his experience, he's not pulling ideas out of the sky at this point, from his experience in verse six, he urges people to call out to God while there's still time. In verse seven, he talks about God as a hiding place. So sometimes we feel like in the storm of our sin, like we're exposed, but we feel like we have to keep covering it up and we have to keep faking it and we have to keep hiding because it's hard out here. But David comes in in verse seven and he's like, no, it's actually counterintuitive. If you actually go to God, he'll let you in and he'll cover you and he'll hide you. Verse 8, David is moved to teach people in light of his sin. Verse 9, he even launches into this illustration of sorts where God is a father, but he's also like a farmer. The farmer who loves his, <laughs> his stubborn mule. And David's sitting here and he's like, don't be like me. Don't be like a stubborn mule that the father had to come to. As if the farmer comes out one afternoon and he looks off into a distance and he can see a storm coming. That's not just any storm. That's the storm of the father's wrath. But the father farmer loves us too much to leave us in our stubbornness and our sin. So he tells us to get inside. He tells us again to get inside. And when we refuse to come in, sometimes the farmer has to strap the bit and the bridle around the mouth and hook it up to the truck and to drag it home. He loves us too much to let us ruin our lives. Don't you see it? This is what David's talking about. So in verse 10, he commends us to a life of trusting God. And in verse 11, he calls God's people to worship because of what he's done. Don't you see what he's doing? God gave David's, God took David's sin and gave him a story to tell. He invaded David's mess and he gave him a message to tell. And this is exactly what God wants to do with us. But we don't feel it. Because sometimes guilt tends to sideline us and make us ineffective. See the Spirit choosing to inspire David's story as Scripture. See the Spirit using one man in his situation and healing him so now he can be a means of help to others. See God blessing David after his sin and after his confession so you can know this today and you can be blessed by it. See God covering his sin and now commissioning him to a world with a message to tell. This is who our God is. And this is who our God works. And we end where David began with the word blessed. This idea that, is, that means happy and joyful and fortunate. It's interesting. This is actually the second psalm that begins with the word blessed. Happy, fortunate, joyful. The first one is Psalm 1 and then here in Psalm 32. And hear the message of this psalm. How does one have a happy life? How does one have a joyful life? Not in never making any mistakes. 
One has a happy and a joyful life in being created in the image of God, struggling with sin, feeling the weight of that sin, confessing to God, and having God heal and restore. That's the way to the happy, full life. A happy life is not found in being free of mistakes, but in failing and being forgiven. This is why John can conclude for us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And how does God do this? Well, he takes our transgression, our sin, and our iniquity, and he forgives as he imputes it to Christ, and he covers us with the blood that flows from the cross. That gospel is the only thing that can heal our consciences and give us the courage to share our story with other people. Let's pray. Father, as we reflect on your word, we want to take our cue from your word to have moments to pause and to be still and to think about who you are and what you're saying to us. So God, with a psalm uh, so full of emotion and life, uh, we take a moment to pause here to think back over your word, to think about what your spirit is revealing and saying to us in this moment, to think about the image of you as a father and us as needy children, you loving us and wooing us home. So God, as we take a moment to pause now, and then as we take another moment uh, to give an offering for those of us who are members here in this family, God, we pray that we would uh, pause very thoughtfully and carefully to be careful to hear what your spirit has for us, And then, Father, when we give, we pray that you'd help us to give generously, remembering how much you, Christ, have given for us on the cross. And then, Father, we pray that you would send us out, being keenly aware of the blessing that's ours in Christ. Help us to share that with others. So continue to be with us in Jesus' name.